0: Modern Animism Radio explores our connection to the plant, animal, mineral, human, and spiritual realms to help you live in divine relationship with all that is. Welcome to Modern Animism Radio. I'm Laura Giles. Thanks for dropping in on our podcast today. Our podcast shares stories and topics that can help you deepen your animist practice of living in relationship with all that is. And one of the ways we do that at Pan Society is through the archetypes. I have a guest with me today, C.E. Banks from the Faith and Fear podcast, and we're going to be talking about how archetypes and stories can help you find your way spiritually. So let's take a deep breath, get heart-centered, and move into a space of gratitude. To the earth below, thank you for our foundation, sensuality, beauty, home, shelter, food. To the air above, thank you for the oxygen that keeps us alive dreams, inspiration, communication, and attachment, I thank you. To the fire that destroys, fuels our passions, purifies, transforms, and warms us, I give thanks. And to the water that hydrates, gives us life, gives us feelings, helps us connect with spirit and the ancestors, I thank you. To the human plants, animal and mineral ancestors, I send gratitude for all that you do that is seen and unseen and ask that you help us to tune in so that we can see that so that we can interact with that too. Thank you to the elders who guide the way forward and help us as we walk towards death. Thank you to all our listeners around the world. If we inspire, teach, humor you or give you anything of value, please continue returning the love by sharing our podcast or giving a donation at buymeacoffee.com forward slash pan society. You can also review our podcast wherever you are listening to us. That helps our ranking and puts us up higher on the search engine. So thanks in advance for that. All right, let's get to our guest CE Banks. Thanks for being here. It's lovely to chat with you again.
1: I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Sure. So what got you interested in archetypes?
1: Honestly, the more serious I began taking my writing, the more I began to familiarize myself with the idea of archetypes. Well, that's only a part of it. As a mythology, folklore, and theology nerd, I've always had a fascination with archetypes in that regard. I've always been interested in different religious beliefs and their underlying similarities.
0: So the title of your podcast is Faith and Fear. And so I'm assuming that, that there's a crossover. And how do you see spirituality, archetypes, and stories intersecting?
1: Yeah, my podcast mostly covers, well, the tagline I use is the stories and beliefs that shape us. So thinking about my interest in theology the psychiatrist Carl Jung often spoke about the nature of archetypes being shared images that are a part of a powerful shared collective unconsciousness. He believed that these archetypes exist as something people of every culture and belief system can relate to. Identifying several that refer to our level of consciousness in a spiritual sense, each can be used to do work exploring one's inner temple or even connecting with one's anima and animus are masculine and feminine natures respectively so with my podcast i try to explore the i guess you could say the monomyth to use a term from the late Joseph of campbell there just seems to be a through line that exists with so many spiritual beliefs and Cultural stories, and that's generally what I tr- try to focus on.
0: So, if I'm understanding you correctly, what you're saying is that there's no separation between story and spirituality. So, it, it's all intertwined. Did I did I read into that or
1: no? Absolutely. I think that it's all connected. I think everything is connected, honestly, and I think that our stories are so much more a representation of who we are and what we believe, not just individually, but as a culture, as a society. And sometimes they're even time capsules in a period in human existence. Mm -hmm. When you look at these stories, you kind of have to take into context when it's written or when it was popularized and what culture or civilization community that it was developed in. Mm
0: -hmm. I
1: think it's all relevant. Mm
0: -hmm. And speaking of that, so in our modern uh, culture, there's the, there's a um, blockbuster formula, which is Joseph Campbell's uh, hero's adventure. And there's always a villain and trickster tends to be the villain of the story in Western movies and books because we live in a Judeo-Christian paradigm where everything's a battle of good and evil. And how does that lens um, maybe confuse us or get in the way of really understanding the trickster's purpose?
1: The trickster is one of the most interesting archetypes, especially when it comes to thoughts of motivation or moral alignment. Characters like Loki, Renner, the Fox and the Nancy, the spider are generally considered to be self-serving and exist to do whatever they feel to be in their best interest. They aren't bound by concepts of good or evil. They simply are. And they can easily serve as both a cautionary figure, as well as an inspiring one, comfortably embracing both sides of themselves. And the trickster for better or worse is willing to do whatever they need to do to get to the things to get things done and achieve their goals.
0: So do you think that that is missed because we live in a Judeo-Christian society where everything is good and evil? Because I think a lot of people will see, pick a villain in any movie and just say, well, that's the bad guy. And it's about like like Game of Thrones. I mean, it was so confusing because like who's good and who's bad. But let's say um, Littlefinger, I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan, but let's just say he's the bad guy how do you, I mean, it's easy just to say, well, that's the bad guy. He gets what he deserves, but that's really not what trickster's about. Not to me anyway.
1: Not at all. The trickster is very misunderstood because of our, as you said, our Judeo-Christian Western perspective. I think the trickster archetype is important because in one way, it represents self-expression and self-reliance, but it also signifies balance. Good and evil exists within all of us, and I think that denying those aspects of ourselves can be extremely limiting. However, giving into one side while completely ignoring the other can be just as dangerous. By that, I'm referring to the obsession of some over the nature of good and evil, right, wrong, because life isn't so black and white. When we lean too far towards, quote unquote, evil, caring about only yourself without any regard for the desire or safety of others, of course, is going to cause harm and damage to a lot of people. While on the opposite side, leaning too far towards what you believe to be, quote unquote, good is how you get fanatics and religious zealots, people that will condemn anyone with different perspectives and values. So I'm saying It's important to care about the needs of others, but also a little self-indulgence and focusing on your own needs from time to time isn't a bad thing. And I think the trickster is kind of an embodiment of that. And I think they also teach us that intelligence and cunning are crucial, that the power of strength alone can't solve every problem. But with a little ingenuity, you can usually find a way. And at the very least, we need to be able to think for ourselves.
0: There is also an element of chaos, though, wouldn't you say, in the tri- trickster?
1: I think it does kind of make sense in a way because I think chaos True. <laughs> is very representative of freedom. Because when you're, when you're really free, I mean, you kind of go by the seat of your pants. You don't really know. I mean, chaos is the opposite of order. You mm-hmm. know, that's where the creative element comes from. So I think chaos is also important in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Because, you know, overly, overly, overly organizing everything can be, like I said before, just as limiting, you know, it's you kind of need to have a little bit of freedom and a little bit of, you know, a free spirit, so to speak.
0: Yeah, I can't even imagine how dull life would be if we didn't have a little bit of chaos.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so the prostitute is another um archetype that's kind of a baddie and i think it gets misunderstood because of that whole good versus evil thing again so how might a prostitute so when you say prostitute i think people think streetwalker but i mean bigger than that so archetype and how might that um, prostitute energy actually serve as a means for survival or for teaching
1: well of course when you say prostitute you're the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, sexual energy. And I think that the prostitute archetype is kind of a complicated one because so many cultures seem to be so wrapped up in the ideas of innocence and sexual purity. However, sexual energy can be extremely powerful. And it's my understanding that a lot of cultural rituals use that type of energy.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: So The thing with prostitutes is that people look at it as women as well as men selling their bodies for a living. However, isn't that what most of us do anyway, especially those of us who do physical labor? I mean, look at any person who spends their years breaking their back and wearing themselves out for a company. They're literally wearing their body out. So people also treat it like it's just an easy thing to do, that people resort to it because they're too lazy to get a real job. But if you look at it from a different perspective, they're simply using what they have to survive. It's no different than an athlete or manual laborer using their physical attributes. To me, the prostitute archetype is all about survival,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm sh- I'm sure it's you know very difficult and draining in its own way, even for those who do sex work online or in the safety of their own home. I think we all use what we have to survive, and ultimately, I think. Like I said, that's what prostitute energy is all about, performing a service, fulfilling the needs of others in order to survive.
0: Talking about it in this way, maybe people will look at it a little bit differently because I agree with everything that you said, but I also think that there's an element of, and I don't want to really be doing this. I think it's kind of a little bit of a sacrificial lamb thing um, that can maybe motivate the person to do something different. Sometimes. Or just love what they're doing and and understand that this is how I survive.
1: But I think that also is reflective of most jobs. I mean, most of us don't want to be working. We'd rather be spending time with our family or doing something that brings us joy. And sometimes even if it is something we enjoy, like a lot of people enjoy sexual activities. But when you make it a job. More often than not, it becomes something that you don't enjoy. It becomes a task. You know, somebody that likes building things, when they're doing it for a living, doing it for other people, it becomes taxing. So I think when you take it into that context, you kind of are forced to look at it a different
0: way. Right. That's what I'm saying. I think it could lead you to motivate to do something different. And that something different doesn't necessarily have to be a different activity. Maybe I still am a plumber or a painter or a teacher or whatever that is, but maybe I need to shift my attitude. Like, you know, so if I'm doing something I don't like, maybe I shift it from, oh, this is just so horrible. to I'm so grateful that I am able to pay my bills, take care of my family, that kind of thing.
1: Right. And I think that it boils down to perspective. And I think a lot of us, when we're able to change our perspective, our outlook, especially on our current situation, it can change everything. So Mm -hmm. I I definitely agree with you that a lot of times it's all on how you look at things.
0: Mm -hmm. So I talked about the trickster and the prostitute. Um, There's tons of other Villains and heroes, but could you what what sort of things could you tell about a culture from the heroes and villains?
1: Well, first and foremost, you can see what values a culture regards as important. You can see which qualities are you can see which qualities are demonized and which are praised. You can see which roles are considered important, how important the social class system is, or if there's an aristocracy is family viewed as more important or wealth and fame. When you look at a culture's villains and their heroes, it says a lot about them.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. A lot of indigenous people have stories about animals and how the animals um, benefited humans. Like in some cases, the coyote gave fire to humans or the crow gave fire to humans. And you see this interplay of survival and you know helping each other but there's not a lot of animal stories i don't i don't think (laughs) in pop culture now it's like we don't even have a relationship with with nature anymore so um just so our audience can understand what an archetype is can you point out some archetypes in a well-known story of cinderella
1: cinderella as a whole is an archetype of sorts and it has quite a few of its own narrations but within that specific narrative along with a number of other fairy tale tropes you have the maiden who is and an who is usually in an unfortunate predicament she's usually a beautiful young woman who represents kindness and innocence like i mentioned earlier you have the evil stepmother who is usually the antagonist and villain you have the fairy godmother who serves as the guardian, the guide, and sometimes even a confidant. And of course you have the prince who usually represents the perfect hero because in those narratives, especially in like Cinderella, you know, the princess has to be saved.
0: It would be a pity if she weren't. <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> but I also find it interesting when you see similar narratives get shaken up a little bit because that's not always the case.
0: Mm-hmm. I get a lot of heartbreaking questions about soulmates. And I think there's a certain demographic that is looking for that prince to save them and for them to live happily ever after. And I think these types of fairy tales, while they do represent a, an aspect of our modern reality, are also so damaging. Uh,
1: absolutely. And I I think a story like Cinderella is best when it emphasizes the importance of character. In her story, she's usually viewed as hardworking, compassionate, and kind to animals, while her stepsister and stepmother are selfish, greedy, and cruel. Sometimes they're mean for no reason than their own enjoyment. Those parts, I think, are important. However, the need to rely on somebody to save you, I think, like you said, can be very damaging, especially when it comes to this insistence on getting married and you know expecting to live a happily ever life because life rarely kind of is so simple and i think that stories like that kind of they don't prepare a lot of children for what's actually out there especially when it comes to more modern version of fairy tales
0: Well, I do love the way that Disney, I think it's Disney, maybe it's one of the other animation companies, um, has turned that around, especially for girls. Because in a lot of the newer ones, so 90s and, and forward, you have the independent female, like Moana, who's not trying to get married, and Emerita from Brave. And it's not about finding somebody to save you. It's more like finding that strength within yourself which I think is a much healthier uh, story because fairy tales and stories are about, it is, that's what it's about, helping you to find solutions. And the solution in Cinderella is to be pretty and have somebody rescue you, which is awful.
1: (laughs) Right. I think it's also interesting to note that The version of Cinderella, most of us know, isn't the original version of Cinderella. Mm -hmm. Most Mm -hmm. of the original fairy tales are way darker than what we know. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go into details right now, but if you go back and look at the original version of Sleeping Beauty, it's a whole nother story. I mean, there's murder, there's sexual assault. So the original stories are a lot more grounded in the cruelty of reality than say their Disney counterparts. So Mm -hmm. I do think that, like I mentioned earlier, when you look at the period of time, a story is popularized in and that version, it tells you a lot more about a culture than it, it just tells you a lot more about the culture and what is held to be important and what matters in that, you know, society at the time. So I think that that matters a lot. And I also think that in some ways, Cinderella is important because it's also a story about being yourself. And I think a good part of it is about her being confident and allowing herself to shine sometimes. And I think that's something a lot of us can probably do a little more of
0: mm-hmm yeah yeah I do think that um I agree with you that that our stories reflect who we are as a culture and for a while I would say from the 50s on up at least to maybe 10 years ago um there was this move for conformity and you know shine your best light and everything has to look good and you know, I don't want any negativity around me, that kind of stuff. And I think the there's kind of been some pushback on that. It's like, you know, I'm a, I'm going to be real and it's okay to cry and it's okay to have a bad day, which I really, really like. And And I think when you clean up stuff too much, then it does cease to have any real meaning because it doesn't look like life anymore.
1: Yeah. And I think conformity, I think a lot of these stories kind of do target the need for conformity because, you know. A society wants you to be a member that doesn't make waves. They want you to be like everybody else and help be productive, you know, and like I said, not make any waves. They want you to fit in. And these stories, I'll use a story like Mulan, for example, When you take some iterations of it, a good part of it is about, you know, a woman's role. And a lot of these stories are about, you know, gender roles, what Mm -hmm. is expected of you in this society, how you're expected to behave. Sometimes it's not even about gender roles. Sometimes it's about classism. You know, you're not really supposed to look outside of your particular lot in life. And even when you have, some of these stories have say the poor person end up marrying a rich person. You find out that they had a secret lineage all along, you know, they were kidnapped Mm -hmm. by an evil witch or whatever. And their (laughs) parents were really the prince and, or the king and the queen of another kingdom. You have things like that. So, I think you also have to take that into consideration when you look at some of these stories.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, it's all, it's all about how they, it's all about how we want people to fit in the world, you know, at a specific time.
0: Mm -hmm. That's why I think it's important to pay attention to the movies that you're drawn to and the characters that you're drawn to, because they could eliminate Uh, what strong archetypes are in you. So I'm going to tell them myself. Um, But (laughs) two of my favorite movies of all time, not just at Christmas, are A Christmas Carol and The Grinch. And of course, they are the same archetype, the miser. Um, There's some other archetypes in there too. But then, you know, we have cultures that have spirit animals, which I think are archetypes. And I think if we pay attention to these things that we're drawn to, whether it's an animal or a character, that can tell us more about ourselves both spiritually and in general so you were saying about you know the conformity and you know fitting in and all of this maybe you're the rebel maybe that's not your job or maybe you're the trickster maybe you're the one who's here t- to shake things up because everything has a place so do you use archetypes in that way
1: no i i agree with you but I also think that more often than not, I feel like it's less a matter of what we see in ourselves. And sometimes it's the qualities we may feel we lack or need to put forth more. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Using your example of Scrooge and the Grinch, they're very bold and care little about what what other people think about them. Sometimes they may take it a bit too far, but that level of confidence and effort attitude can hold a lot of weight. So sometimes these characters, whole qualities we may be capable of excelling at, but have not yet embraced for whatever reason. And I think that, like I said, you might be drawn to a character that has the freedom you may not feel like you have in your own life, the freedom to express your selfishness or your freedom to... I'll use other villains as an example. A lot of people like villains because... You know, they don't have to be bound by conformity. They don't have to be bound by the rules of society. They can just be who they are and do what they want without really worrying about the consequences. And that can be a very attractive thing to consider, you know? But most of us have responsibilities and most of us do want to fit in. So we kind of look at those type of characters from afar, admire them from afar in that kind of way.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Well, and I think it's important not to make it into a caricature because things are multifaceted. For example, going back to the Grinch Grinch and Scrooge, the miser is obvious, um, but like you said, there's other things going on there. So they're both, to me, transformation characters. So another archetype is the phoenix. And another archetype is once they've done the transformation, (laughs) you know, the generous one, I don't know what you would call that, but the, the benefactor, then they were able to give back because they were withholding so much. And as much as you hold back, you also have that much to give. So looking at it in its totality, I think that these things can be huge teachers for us. They can show us what we're leaning towards, what we yearn for, what we're not allowing ourselves to have you know, what, what we find attractive, all kinds of things. I just, I love stories. You can tell. (laughs) And one of the things that I see is that America is obsessed with a hero. All the Hollywood blockbusters have a hero, you know, he's multifaceted, but I think misunderstood because there is life after conquering the dragon. So how does knowing that whole story help to flesh an archetype out?
1: Well, the context and even expanding on a narrative can greatly change what it says to us. But I think when you get into specifics, that's where archetypes tend to vary. Archetypes, by their very nature, serve as typical recurring symbols with common characteristics. When you delve into the motivation, even what happens when the story ends, you're exploring unique aspects of the character. And that may that make him her stand apart from the rest do they change after the initial story is over how so one narrative may have the hero in one story become a mentor in the next using bilbo baggins for example from the hobbit to the lord of the rings another narrative may have the hero become the villain seeing the results of his labors fall apart in time or falling victim to the temptations of dark powers and desires like the once innocent Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader.
0: That's kind of the point that I'm trying to make, because I think, like I said, America is obsessed with the hero and it's like, we want to stay there as as the Olympic winner. But in going back to Joseph Campbell, I mean, it's about the whole thing. So, or Bilbo Baggins, I mean, he does all, all the things that he does, but he has to still go home and, at some point, you know, that that thing that you did, that Olympic medal, it's over and you got to go back home. You can't just live forever as the hero. But I think that's what we try to capture in our culture. It's like I'm always I on think, top.
1: I think we have gotten better about that because I do think that we've expanded upon the idea of the hero in a lot of ways, sometimes to its detriment. There was a big obsession over the anti hero for like the longest time. And if there's still, you know, remnants of that with characters like Daredevil or the Punisher, for using comics as examples. And I think that to your point, to talk about what happens after the fact once a story ends, there's even been a little bit more of that where you have the expansion of a lot of universes because a lot of people do want to know. What happens after the story ends? You know, do they have children? Do they continuously live happily ever after? And there's even been a number of series using fairy, t- or we're talking about fairy tales, where they go into the lives of Cinderella's children, Sleeping Beauty's children. There's, I don't know the name of the series because I'm a little aged out of that, but I do know that there are a number of series a number of series that focus on the children of these fairy tale figures and what, what happened after their stories ended and how that affected their their world how that affected their lives and how their experiences affected their children's lives going forward so i do think that we do try to look into those narratives those Expansions of the hero story sometimes, but I do th- think we could do it a lot more.
0: Mm-hmm. Another aspect of that is the duality of them, because the way that I learned about archetypes is that there is a light and a dark side, and both within that one and and a separate one that acts as their uh, complement. So the hero has to have a villain, mother has to have a father, creator has to have a destroyer. And one of the things that I find really interesting, and that is that love and war are partners. And you see that in Greek mythology with Aphrodite, with her partner or her lover being Aries. So do you see any spiritual significance to this or do you think it's just a coincidence?
1: No, I, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's significant because it's important that a balance exists. Positive, negative, masculine, feminine, light, dark, life, and death. I don't think either can exist without the other. And neither side is a monolith to itself, but needs both aspects to be a whole. Mm -hmm. What I find most interesting is when these aspects exist within the same entity, kind of like what you were referring to, like humans who are neither entirely good or evil. We even contain both masculine and feminine energy, mm-hmm. nature within us. Nature itself is both, it both creates and destroys. And in my opinion, that is the true essence of our existence. Yeah. So it's definitely not a coincidence. And, you know,
0: yeah, I think, it, and again, it,
1: that creative and destructive energy also exists within humans. Mm
0: hmm Mm -hmm. because we
1: definitely have the ability to create and destroy
0: speaking of sorry so so no no you're on a roll (laughs) so not all archetypes are humans so the in that create and destroy thing we have the archetype of a storm like um there was a movie the perfect storm um years ago and that i think tornado movies hurricane movies, those kinds of things are always a hit because they're so powerful and we're so helpless. Um, but I don't think people think about those types of archetypes. Um, so any ideas of what we can learn from like weather archetypes or other non-human, like the mountains in, in Peru, the mountains are sacred and they are, they're archetypal.
1: No, absolutely. And weather archetypes are a bit of a wild card. I mean, most cultures and their mythologies do have a deity that represents and embodies relevant weather weather archetypes, especially those native to the area. And sometimes these gods are humanoids, sometimes they're animals, and sometimes they're even demons. But kind of like what you were referring to, they're they're uncontrollable forces. They're forces of nature, neither good nor evil, and they just are ever-changing. They're in a lot of ways they're chaos Mm
2: -hmm. you
1: know there's there does seem to be an order to them but at the same time they're very chaotic you know nature kind of has its own will and it's not something that we can control Mm
0: -hmm. i don't know if this is still true but it it has been recently um that we've been seeing lots of vampire movies um not the type that suck blood necessarily but we do have that too i'm not a vampire movie fan but i think that's what they're doing um but people people who suck other people's energy so the emotionally clingy person who fears abandonment and wants reassurance i think that's really significant in in what it says about our society does do you think that reflects who we are as people
1: well when you talk about the vampire much like the werewolf and even the witch they're a part of our attraction to our darker nature they represent freedom and the ability to embrace parts of ourselves we normally are taught to deny or repressed in civilized society and i do believe that as a society in many ways we are very much repressed we're taught to not give into our desire or our animalistic urges to fit as to fit in as proper productive conforming members of the community I think our love of vampires and monsters is a small rebellion against this. But I also, as you've hinted at, vampirism isn't limited to feeding on blood. Sometimes it is feeding on energy and emotion. And in that sense, I think we're all vampires. We feed on one another as social creatures, and it's crucial to our well-being as well as our survival. Granted, some of us need less human interaction than others, but it's been proven that complete isolation can be devastating to the human psyche. So I think it's very much kind of an analog about how we interact with one another. I mean, we literally do kind of feed on one another, whether it's for support or validation. So I kind of try to look, I kind of look at it in that context.
0: Mm -hmm. See, that's why I think we have to have these, these conversations because you're saying things that I haven't thought of. So I appreciate it. But another common archetype we have in our society is the victim, which is a face of the wounded child. And why do you think there's so many victims? Is that just another aspect of, you know, who we are as a society today?
1: I know it's a bit of a cliche, but one of my favorite movies is the original Crow. I don't know if you're aware of this movie. It's, kind of like a gothic love revenge story. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it's one of the most well-known quotes was spoken by the protagonist, Eric Draven. And he says, victims, aren't we all? And I believe it's the absolute truth. When I say we're all victims, I mean that no one's life is perfect. We all have baggage and we all have our own crosses to bear. So it's important we keep that in mind whenever we have interactions with others. And I want to add that just because at some point in our lives, it doesn't mean we have to remain as such. Part of our individual journey is understanding how our own baggage and trauma, you know, affect us. And it's also learning how to cope with and overcome these parts of ourselves That doesn't mean we have to go it alone either. And it's important to seek help when we need it. More often than not, that's also necessary. So I think that's one of the reasons why the victim archetype speaks to us is because it's something that all of us can relate to on some level. And I think on the journey from victim to achieving balance and wholeness, we have to know ourselves. That's crucial. You know, you need to know your strengths, you need to know your weaknesses, and understanding both is equally a part of who you are. It's all relevant and all a part of your unique journey.
0: True. And, and yet, I think we all have the same journey in different ways. So because the archetypes are universal, and they are all of our stories, I think the more for me, I'll speak for myself, the more that I explore them, the more that I see that I'm just like everybody else, and it makes me humble, and it makes it takes away the stigma. So, for example, um, Carolyn Meese has an archetype oracle deck, and there's another one too. It's round, and I can't think of who who does that one. But there's a lot of uh, archetype decks out there, and one of the archetypes in in Carolyn's is the addict, and that's something that's stigmatized in our culture. But when you think about it from a spiritual perspective or an archetypal point of view, for me, it changes things because we can be addicted to all kinds of things. We could be addicted. So it's not just drugs and alcohol and bad things, gambling and sex. It could be, you know, you could be a workaholic or you could be, I don't know. Sometimes being an addict is a good thing.
1: No, absolutely. And like you said, addiction isn't just limited to substances like alcohol or drugs it can involve virtually anything, like sex, food, video games, exactly what you said. People are, A lot of people are addicted to working for different reasons, and addiction is both chemical as well as psychological dependence on something, and it's usually something that helps us cope with life. It helps us manage stress and continue our day to day. But the problem comes when we let addiction overtake us. And I I think you were kind of alluding to this is that we're all vulnerable to something. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's television, sometimes it's shopping. But being able to manage these impulses, these needs, makes us, well, it makes up all the difference. Sometimes we're even able to transfer our dependency on something from something negative to something positive or productive. But I think addiction can teach us a lot about ourselves and what dependencies we're vulnerable to. Is there a reason why we're vulnerable to this specific thing? Are there spiritual or psychological shortages we need to better understand or work on? personal addictions can tell us a lot about ourselves there are a lot of differences you know we each have our differences but there are so many more similarities Mm -hmm. and I think that when you look at archetypes it makes those similarities all the more visible Mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons why I love delving into these things and one of the reasons why I love talking about these types of concepts in my own podcast is because you know these are the stories and the beliefs that shape us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think they're the the things that that connect us. These belong to all Absolutely. of us. They're in all of us. And if you can see the witch in you, the villain in you, the prostitute in you, then it makes it a whole lot easier to to not other other people because you're just like "Mm, you know what I'm just like you
1: (laughs) no I was just going to say right and kind of like what you were talking about earlier with the hero and the other archetypes that exist with alongside it being just as important you know going back to Joseph Campbell and his structure of the hero's journey if you take any one of those parts, those segments in that journey, it kind of everything falls apart. So, you know, having these archetypes be so interconnected, they're reliant on each other. You know, they're all just as important and they feed off of one another. Mm -hmm. So I think it's definitely important to look at that.
0: Well, and it's a, and it's a template. So if you have a template, you don't ever have to be lost. You don't have to stay a victim. You know what the next step is. You know, maybe it is calling for you to be the hero now. And and on that journey, then you become the leader of your own life, you know? So I, I just love archetypes and I could talk about this all day. So thanks for being here and sharing your perspective. And if people want to hear more from you or check out your podcast, where can they find you?
1: Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. My podcast is Faith and Fear, and and you can pretty much find it wherever podcasts are available.
0: Okay, cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We love questions. Don't forget to reach out with your questions and comments. And please leave us a review for the podcast, if you please. You can also check us out on Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok if you're on any of those social media platforms. I'm Laura Giles, and I'll see you all next week. Ciao. Thank you.